been in my head, have you? Had a little peek at my past? And what? A few stolen memories tell you everything you need to know, do they? Don't you dare patronize me! You don't know a goddamned thing about the life I've led! I am your host, Warren Ash, and I am here with the lovely... Nicholas. Yeah, and today we have a super special episode because, you know, as it is in the adult world, Nicholas and I completely forgot that it has been a year in the life of Furudashi. Yeah, it's a much much belated <laughs> year. A much belated year, uh, <laughs> year anniversary. So we yeah. wanted to say thank you guys all for a one-year anniversary episode, and we have a super special, uh, a super special episode for you guys today. We want to take you back into this one-year retrospective and go through and talk about our favorite episodes and the highlights of the game design that we have discovered in those episodes. So you'll be able to check out these episodes in the link to the description below. Some of these, if you've been listening with us for this year, thank you. And you will also be able to right, hear them again and re-listen to them. But yeah. the bulk of this episode, we'll just be able to kind of go in and see what we've discovered in those really awesome titles and uh, episodes that we did. Yeah, so from my perspective, I thought it was kind of fun. I thought it would be kind of fun to sort of think back about how naive we were <laughs> when we when we started all of this and how like over time we've kind of settled into things and I don't know. I I think we've grown. Have we have we grown, Lauren? Well, I definitely haven't grown taller, but maybe we've grown, you know, <laughs> That's bigger. You're people. still really short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely think that we've grown. And that's actually a really great point is that when we started for Adashi Pod, um, our origin story, if you will, is that yeah. Nicholas and I just, I mean, we like talking and battling back and forth, right? Yeah. And we always had these ideas and we were just reconnecting over the pandemic years. And basically, Nicholas is like, hey, well, why don't we just start a podcast? Like, we're going to be doing this anyway. We're going to be yeah. talking about these things because exactly. we were. And yeah. we're talking about them for hours on end because instead of, you know, hanging out like normal people and going, well, what shows have you watched or what did you make <laughs> for dinner? We were like, why do people think that Japanese role-playing games exist and how can we just talk to everybody and convince them that an RPG is just an RPG and doesn't have to have a nationality on it? And suddenly, yeah. you know, two hours after having a discussion about that off the record, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nicholas was like, well, let's get on the record. Uh, we have Zoom. Let's go. And so well, yeah, we just no, hit record. Yeah, and we do this all the time. So for those of you who don't know, like our production process is we usually spend anywhere between like 15 minutes and a half an hour beforehand, like sort of talking out what we're going to to talk about. And oftentimes we, for, we just like start getting into it. And I'm like, wait a minute, we need to just hit record. <laughs> we need to just actually record these discussions instead of talking about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, and so right now we actually, uh, so a little bit behind the scenes for you guys that aren't on our Patreon, uh, which please go and support us on Patreon. All of our patrons get access to the Secret Squad episodes, become those members, and we will be offering new tiers in the future that Nicholas will get to at the end here. 
Yep. So please go off and support us. Like this really does help us make higher quality content and then pay for others to help us make that higher quality content. Right. Yeah. So that, and- that bit aside. <laughs> So, Lauren, what what episodes did we want to talk? I mean, I know we're going to talk about some of our most popular episodes, but we all we don't want just want to sort of rehash what we did. We want to kind of like I don't know, create a sort of an extension from them. In other, so we're right. we're going to be talking later about sort of what the podcast is going to be going forward. You know, new things that we're going to be working on. So we want to do something similar for the episodes that we go back and look at themselves because. So for those of you who don't know, the, the, the term, the name of the podcast, Furidashi, um, is the Japanese term for like the starting space on a game board. And so in many ways, when we were first like sitting down and trying to conceptualize what the podcast would be, we thought about it as a kind of like better way to do sort of like introductory level, like critical analysis of video games for the purpose of like actually then going back into your own game dev work and sort of using what you have learned in you know your own like creative and productive capacity and then as time went on we started to realize like well okay so that means that a lot of times we end up producing episodes where we sort of like give an overview of a particular concept or a particular idea or like things like you know immersion core gameplay loops you know all this stuff that we talk about And then we kind of just move on to another topic. So one of the things we want to do today is sort of like modeling what we're going to be doing going forward is to actually go back and look at some of our previous episodes and give you like a taste, a flavor, a sousance, if you will, of what (laughs) of what the of what that extension will look like. So Lauren. Yeah, so we're good. Yeah, so and for all those game dev nerds out there, this is going to sound very familiar to what we call in the game dev world, which is a postmortem. You yeah. kind of go through what you've done and you've developed and you go like, what works? What went well? What went wrong? How can we be better? What are the lessons learned, right? But instead of doing all of that like BS for like an actual development project, we wanted to talk about particularly four particular areas that we really feel like we can go more into detail. And instead of rehashing those old arguments, right, like Nicholas said, we're going to kind of look at how have we grown from those arguments. Yep. Right. What are we going to look at? So here are the episodes that, one, you guys actually really loved these past year. These are some of our popular episodes, as well as some unpopular episodes that honestly hold a lot of really strong value. And yeah. I don't want to say unpopular in that they were un- an un. I guess it was an unconventional argument, but it wasn't an argument that was really right, straightforward, that was controversial. So the first thing we're going to talk about is going to be Hades. This was how we argued about how immersion can happen in storytelling and game design, especially when you have death or breaking the game or kind of fighting against the game structure itself and actually create the immersion for the player. Yeah. So the, the the basic argument, as I recall, was that sort of like the way in which immersion is typically talked about is this sort of like, like almost like a sensory deprivation chamber. It's it's where it sort of like excludes the world from your your consideration of what's going on. That's what people tend to think about. And when people talk about, say, like immersive RPGs, like that's usually what, or immersive sims usually is what they're called. Yeah, they think about it as an immersive simulation. It's something that you get lost in, right? It's an escapist tactic. Yeah, exactly. So, but when we were looking at Hades, one of the reasons, like, not, it's not just that it was a great game or that, you know, all of the, all of Supergiant's games are really great. It's that that game in particular exemplified this way in which immersion could be reconceptualized as like considering a far broader context than just sort of like the limited simulated world of the game itself. In other words, it was a game that by sort of 
breaking, quote unquote, that traditional sense of immersion actually sort of expanded the domain of what could be considered an immersive experience. Absolutely. And I think that when we started it, Nicholas was very well like versed in what the old kind of thinking, or I will say the traditional, it's not old, it is traditional. It's the yeah. traditional level of thinking of immersion about getting lost in an experience that is unlike anything you've ever played. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but he was nope. right in saying that Hades for him wasn't immersive. He's like, I knew I was playing a game the whole time. Yeah. And that was my argument was that no, 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 no. That in of itself <laughs> is what created the immersion from Supergiant. Yeah. And so in a year and now a year, right, after having this game come out, what I've found is that in AAA, you do have those two schools of thought. You have one that says, you know, that's not realistic. That doesn't make sense. It's not immersive. I really feel like I'm playing a game. Yeah. And then you have this other school of thought. And it's not just within developers. It's honestly, I think, within people, right? You have mm -hmm. the other school of thought that is, yeah, I'm, I'm, no, I'm playing a game because I quite literally put a disc in a console or I downloaded <laughs> it from the internet and it yeah, said yeah. play game. Yeah. Like I already know I'm in a game <laughs> environment. Why does everything need to have? Um, and it usually, honestly, falls down to my like my department, which is gameplay and narrative or narrative systems, yeah. where it's like, why does everything have to have a narrative wrapper? Like, why does everything have to be like, you know, like in those all the Marvel games, right? I'm saving the world or the pedestrians are trapped on the bridge. You know, Taskmaster has a bomb. Like, yeah. <laughs> why does everything have to have a reason? Why can't a game just be fun? Right. And yeah. then you look at Mario, right, or Mario Party. And honestly, the games are just ridiculous. And some of them aren't even games like they are, but they're just like matching or it's just someone comes at you with a chomper and they're going to eat you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just like a fun experience that it kind of makes you wonder, like people know they're playing a game, right? Yeah. But when it comes to something like Hades, a year later in development, I'm realizing that people are kind of looking at Hades now and seeing, right? Even in, in, in all of my uh, kind of spheres of influence, I guess, yeah. that immersion isn't regulated to being escapist. Yes. Because you can be immersed in an experience and know that you are still in the experience. Yeah. And this sort of goes along with the 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 theoretical sort of perspective that I brought to that episode, which was specifically coming from Brecht and Brecht's notion of epic theater. Because the thing is, in the epic theater, you know, it's the the environment is still the same. You know, you're still going into a theater, you're still watching a play, a play is still being performed by actors. Like all of the pieces are still the same. But the way in which it's done is that strangely, like you're by sort of having all these like meta textual elements that make you aware consciously of the, and that's important, consciously aware. Because, you know, you can say like, oh yeah, I know I'm playing a game. But the thing is, is that in your immediate awareness when you're playing the game? And so similarly, what Brecht was trying to do, though he wasn't always successful, was to sort of make people immediately aware at all times that you're watching a performance. And the reason why is because then by being having that awareness, you're also thinking about the way in which the performance is situated in the world that you live in. Similarly, with video games, having that immediate conscious awareness of what's going on the fact that you're playing a game and also what it means to be playing a game at a particular time in a particular place and say a particular historical moment, like why are a whole bunch of people playing Animal Crossing during a pandemic? You know, things like that. 
then take on greater significance. They have a greater immersive element, not just because you're playing online or you're talking about it with your friends, but because in many ways, the the sim experience, the escapist experience, is taking immersion and making it like a compartmentalized part of your life. Whereas the immersive experiences that we're talking about, in some cases, they could subsume your life, but then they're also more fully integrated into your like entire lived experience. And that is sort of the more novel thinking about what immersion actually means in game design. Right. And I love that that is kind of where I want to laid, I want to leave this episode with and to tease you into kind of thinking about when we look at the topic of immersion in the future, what Nicholas says with that is a part of your life is that immersion experience and you do lose yourself to these is when you look at the popular MMORPG Final Fantasy 14, logging <laughs> on to that to popular MMO. Final, <laughs> popular with, with the award-winning expansion Heaven's Word that, if you didn't know, is free to play right at this very moment. <laughs> yeah, up until level 60 with no content log until you get to that thing. No time you have log. To do, uh, you have to do the whole meme, otherwise it doesn't count. Oh, no, I wasn't going to do the whole meme. I was just, anyway. Anyway, Final Next Fantasy time, 14. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, just like in Final Fantasy 14 is an escapist from the real world and yet is part of your life, logging on, creating calendar events to remind you to check the Jumbo Cackpot every Saturday at 7 p.m. on your calendar um, <laughs> and you buy your tickets, right? Logging yeah. into that experience and losing yourself is that type of novel immersion that while people say could be compartmentalized in that is actually an extension, becomes an extension, right, of your yeah. life and of your exactly, livelihood. Yes. In the same way that a Renaissance festival is probably Breck's penultimate experience, that going to a Renaissance festival or going to the Shakespeare festival, being a part of that is, you know, at all times that you are in a consumerist environment meant to make you feel as if you are back in the medieval period. Yeah. And potentially, if you are not wearing the traditional garb, they will call you out as being in your knickers, <laughs> right? Or being yeah, in yeah. these jeans. Or why do you have that magic box that you talk into? They're going to consistently meta, right? Meta gaming you within that experience and yet treating you as if you exist within it, right? And I yeah. think that is the level of immersion that we actually see as a novel level of immersion yeah. that we don't always have in video game design no. as an actual forethought into that design. Well, yeah, because it seems to, in the instances that we have pointed out so far, it seems to come incidentally. In other words, it doesn't feel like it was motivated. It feel like it happened, but not that the... Maybe, maybe, maybe we are wrong. There is, there's a real possibility that we are in fact wrong. But in looking at sort of like the video game, quote unquote, texts object, you know, media that have been produced, it appears that that is sort of like an accident of their production rather than sort of something that was intended in yep. production. Yeah. And so speaking of intentionality versus accidentiality is a new <laughs> word. Um, we also wanted to go into the next episode to do a postmortem on. Uh, yeah. And this is a very fun, controversial one that a lot of you have remembered. And there is no such thing as a JRPG. Doesn't exist. Does not. Doesn't exist. In fact, exist. So I was being, I, okay, so I have to admit in retrospect that I was being intentionally controversial. I, I, I'm fully aware. In fact, I even presented part of the counter arguments to my own claim in the episode. But the point of that episode to me, may, Lauren might differ because we, we had slightly different perspectives on this. 
So the reason why I presented that particular argument is because at the time I was teaching a class for Syracuse in which we were talking about Final Fantasy VII. And I talked with my students about the fact that Final Fantasy, the series, is especially um, emblematic of this problem, not really a problem, sort of this concern with so-called JRPGs that doesn't often get discussed. I mean, it has been discussed. In fact, um, I believe um, Game Maker's Toolkit actually made a video sort of about this without quite making this argument. But the point is that like Japanese game developers explicitly looked to Western RPGs, not only for inspiration, but also in many cases for like how to develop certain basic mechanics within their games. And so the reason why for me it was kind of disingenuous to talk about the the JRPG as this distinct thing outside of like certain you know aesthetic concerns is precisely because in many ways the JRPG is actually more like in international style because the Japanese game developers were looking more broadly at what was going on in terms of role-playing games to conceptualize what they were doing. Similarly, over time, as you know, J so-called JRPGs became popular in the West, Western developers were now looking at them as well. So there was this back and forth. There was this very clear, explicit interaction. And to, once again, go back to a favorite game of ours, Final Fantasy XIV, doing the meme, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, the, the, the director for that game, Yoshida Naoki, or Yoshipi as he's sometimes known, um, he explicitly looked at a Western MMORPG, World of Warcraft, for not only inspiration, but also for like those basic fundamental things to do in 14 to reinvigorate it. So we see this clear cultural exchange. And that's the thing that I really wanted people to focus on rather than thinking of like, oh, in mysterious Asia, they're doing mysterious Asian things. And in logical enlightenment Western Europe, they're doing enlightenment Western Europe things because that doesn't describe reality. That's not actually the reality. Not only does it not describe reality, but you actually hit on the main argument that I really wanted to bring up is that a lot of times when we look at nationalizing a genre, yep. you know, like, oh, those Polish or Czech developers, like you can just tell that it's from that country. No, you can't. Like, you can't, <laughs> okay? And what's worse is that you're creating the sense of otherness, right? Yes. And when you look at race theory and you look at ethnic studies, the sense of otherness is any time that you feel right, that you have some sort of perspective and the other perspective is something outside of you that allows yep. you to judge it and to mm -hmm. distance yourself from that property yes. and state then label that, yep. right? Yep. So when you look at a JRPG, calling something self a Japanese role-playing game is somehow saying that yours without the J is somehow higher and enlightened and something that is more pure to its form because it doesn't have an identifier. Yeah. When you yourself put the identifier on it. <laughs> well, yeah, and this is a really important point. I'm really gr glad that you brought up the, the bugaboo that is critical race theory because it is such an incredibly misunderstood thing. Because in, so in, um, especially in like ethnic studies in the humanities, one of the things that has been really important is to talk about what are called marked and unmarked subjects. The marked subject is the other. And it's the, th it's the thing. And that's, and this is really important because the other is conceptualized not as an agent, as sort of like an active human agent with like their own psychology, own concerns, just like you. They are commodified in a certain way. They are created, they turned into a thing. They're thingified, reified, I guess would be the technical term. 
And you can then ascribe all sorts of like universal essential qualities to that thing that you conceptualize precisely because it is not fungible in the same way that a human being is fungible. Whereas I, the unmarked subject, the white man, quite literally, like I don't have any of these like essentializing qualities. I am the I am the tabula rasa. I am the perfectly moldable subject. I am the one who can become all of these various things, while the other who sort of juxtaposed against me can't. Like you're you're literally sort of reconceptualizing the other as something fundamentally different. Absolutely. And that is where it then staunches, right, on game design. It basically doesn't yep. allow for innovation or any sort of experimentation. Uh, experimentation. Experimentation? What the? Experimentation. Crap? Yeah. Word, whatever. Experimentation. <laughs> no, but, and, and I'm so, so happy that you brought up essentialism because right now, when you look at the tabula rasa, the perfect white man, he can be any protagonist. He can be in yep. any setting. He can go to space. Not only that, but him. also you can turn, and this is something we, we actually talked about this in one of our episodes. You can even turn the racialized other into the unmarked white man. Yes. You, yes. You can yep. simply use them as a skin. And it's really fucking creepy when people do that. No. And you can. And that's why you create things that aren't relatable, that aren't realistic to the actual right other yeah. right experience. And it's not because that experience is, oh, well, if anyone can have these types of experiences, just putting on a skin suit of a woman. Right. That yeah. obviously she can act the same as the white man. Right. Or putting on the skin suit, right, of another race, like, or of another, like, country or another nationality. When yep. you essentialize things, you get to say that, oh, well, that must be like a JRPG because you decided to use text boxes and character portraits. Oh, that's a JRPG because you have multicast of characters that all have equal weighting because, I don't know, diversity is a good thing. Like, <laughs> no, true. Oh, yeah, that yeah, game yeah, has yeah. so many yeah. cutscenes. It must be a JRPG. Like, you yeah. essentialize a plethora of a breath plethora blah, 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 blah. i am making up words today you like it's nobody's actually. business well and okay the, um, cin the cinematic thing is really important and this this is this is perfect perfect example of what i was talking about earlier this sort of like international like cross-cultural exchange that exists in games so final <coughs> fantasy 7 like whoa <laughs> that was loud <laughs> the final fantasy 7 like sort of the game that is so often pointed to as like introducing cinematic elements into role playing into role playing video games that element of that game is explicitly derived from the developers looking at hollywood films and how to make japanese video games more like hollywood films Absolutely. Like, how can you say that Nathan Drake and Uncharted is a different type of role playing game than freaking Final Fantasy 13 and the Foul Sea? Yes. You can't. You yes. cannot do it. They are the same game. Okay. One well, takes place in science fiction. Game. They're the same game. Okay. Well, they're based, they're not the same game. But that's what I say. Uncharted, Den of Thieves 2, right? Sorry. Um, Uncharted 2, Uncharted 4, to me, right, is the same type of experience as Final Fantasy 13. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. Lauren is right. So that's the, so that we'd like to thank everybody for, <laughs> thank <laughs> Lauren, you everybody for I'm going to drop my mics because Lauren's can't really be dropped. So I don't know, but that's like, the, and that's the thing that we want to do. It's like, we want to, we, we present these ideas and it's like, here's this high level argument. And, but then 
we want you all to then take this and look at like the thing that you're playing or the thing that you're working on and be a little bit more conscious. Like, so, so for example, like let's say you're making a visual novel and it has those elements like, you know, using character portraits and you know, the character portraits like slide in from the side of the screen, or maybe you have like, you know, basically dating sim elements, like be more conscientious about where you're drawing that from. How are you drawing that from? How are you using it? And not necessarily in the sense of like, you know, is it like cultural appropriation or anything like that? But it's like, there's a different way of thinking about appropriation. And it's about looking at how you are engaging in a kind of conversation with other games. In other words, rather than like, what am I stealing from this game? Or like, how am I influenced by this game? Like, what am I communicating about how I have, I guess you could say, like, analyzed or understood these games? And now how, through what I have produced, are other people who have played my game going to look at those things that I am drawing from? In other words, it's a discourse of games. It's not a, like, I don't know, it's not thievery. You're not doing thievery. Yeah. And likewise, when you're studying these properties and you're studying these titles, what are the previous scholars and academics that have come before you and how have they labeled these games? Right? How yeah. have they put these games onto a timeline of influence or how have they said which ideas have been stolen or drawn from? And if they've ever actually used the word stolen, right, yeah. or suppositioned, right? Those yeah. are as a fancy academic word there. <laughs> how have, when you are reading these materials and these articles on the internet, or you've picked up a book and they are analyzing the concepts and the mechanics and the stories of these games and these narratives, what type of narrative are they telling you? Exactly. Right? How are they influencing you to look at these properties, look at these examples, and what do they want you to think about them? Because not just in developing your own game, but in developing your own thoughts about how you want to create those game designs. You need to be wary, right, on both fronts. Yeah, and actually, I think this is a good point to segue to a couple to the last couple of things that we we wanted to talk about, which is that well, one we're so we're going to end this episode by talking about sort of like the sorts of things we want to do, do going forward, but also by looking at. Okay, so to use an example of something that we've been doing recently. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, um, I stream every Wednesday night from uh, 8.30 to 10.30. That's central time. So it would be 6.30 to 8.30 um, Pacific time. Um, just random games, things that I'm sort of thinking about at the moment. Sometimes we do themed ones. Like, so, you know, for October, we're going to try and do more spooky games. I was playing Deltarune and... It, it got spooky and then it got unspooky in a really obnoxious way. So I'm not going to play Tiltaroon anymore. Anyway, the point of all that is as, as a result of streaming, um, I've also been, you know, putting a blog post weekly called afterthoughts that appear. And this is important because they appear first for our Patreons and then later for um, everybody else, just with some thoughts on the game, sometimes sort of like critiquing sometimes what ideas have been inspired through playing it. Sometimes I'll even like, talk to the you know if especially if it's like an indie game sometimes i even talk to the developers about it and you know we have a little back and forth and it's great fun um we want to do more of that sort of thing and so like lauren do you want me to talk about sort of like the the Fudidashi classroom idea that we have or do you want me to talk about it yeah i think you should talk about it um first to kind of give us like to kind of wrap that end on our kind of postmortem retrospective yeah. for that year in Furidashi. Yeah. It has been one crazy hell of a year. Not, <laughs> yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great, but not just because we're kind of coming 
into the full force of the panini lifestyle, right? <laughs> yeah. It, right. It's that, yeah. you know, this year is kind of, hopefully we've had these, these small blips of we're getting back to reality and then it yeah. gets taken from us right with the Delta variant. And it's yeah. been a pretty hard year, I think for a lot of our listeners and for us to start this podcast right during that type of year, it's yeah. been really crucial for me to have this kind of time to get my, all of the thoughts that I've been having out that usually you would just go outside and especially in the tech industry of the SF Bay area, you go to a coffee shop, someone's going to work in tech, right? Yeah, Whether it's yeah. biotech or game development um, or like marketing apps, like for Twitter or something like buffer, right? Yeah, like it's going to yeah. be so, like something weird and obnoxious. Like people don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, I think that this has been really important to kind of have a sounding board for ideas. And we look at, you know, where we've been right. in all of our other episodes, it's really important to kind of also go, well, then where are we going right a year from now? What will be some of the content that will be Eh, that we will have released. <laughs> Sorry, adulting is hard. Well, we have very we hard today. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, we have a week away for Alpha. I think everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Everyone needs to like send Lauren their their kindest, gentlest, happiest thoughts because she has had a very rough day today. So I just wanted everyone to be aware of that. Like, cut Lauren some slack. She's fantastic. She's a brilliant human being, but she's having a rough one. <laughs> so, I am so. having a rough day. But th thank you guys uh, definitely for your support. You know, send me the love on, on Twitter, but send me the love on Furudashi as well. We need more engagement there. Yeah. Um, so so send us send me the love via this uh, second account. So yeah, so Nicholas is going to talk to us about our, our Furudashi classroom. But before we get into that, I did want to just high level, where are we going? Like we talked about and kind of modeled for you in this episode, we are going to be looking at more for one, right? What are the extensions for taking those old arguments and how can we go further with them? Yep. Right. And two, really looking at our video game logic and that academic theory behind them with our Patreon users. Yep. Right. We're going to go more in depth, not just from the practical example, but really delving deep into those topics. Yeah. Um, and finally, like you've kind of seen a couple of times with Masao Kobayashi, who's come on now two times now, we are going to be having more guest episodes on this podcast, hopefully about once a month. Yep. And so that will be both for our Patreon and our non-Patreon subscribers. You're going to get access to these really cool guest episodes. And there will probably be some behind the scenes, you know, blooper type of things that we'll have on the Patreon as well. That might be shorter, might be longer. We'll see. I know Masao did one as well for our Patreons. Yep. Um, earlier. And that was just really fantastic because it's fantastic to talk to him. Yes. So do you expect more guests on this podcast kind of going into how they got into game development, where they are in game design? And my hope that is if they are in AAA, right, or whether they're an independent or a solo developer, it's more functional for you to kind of see not just game developers as game designers, but game developers as people who maybe in non-traditional apartments, like someone that just makes movies, or someone yeah. that is in HR or in content or community management, right? Because those people are game developers as well, because yep. they're on the team, they're playtesting the build, they're giving feedback. And quite frankly, they play all of the games, right? The developers play themselves. Yes. So to say that they're any less developers, um, I mean, it's just, just an old argument. And so yeah. kind of looking at all aspects of the game development process through our guest episodes. So... With all of that being said, for at least the podcast portion, now we're yeah. super excited to kind of show you, well, where are we going beyond the podcast? So, Nicholas. Yeah. So starting sometime next year, which is to say next calendar year, not just like in the next like year of the podcast, um, we are going to be opening up an entirely new Patreon tier. 
And this tier will be specifically for those who want to like literally like take a class with us. We are designing curriculum. We have alluded to this in the past um, and we are actually doing it. And it's going to involve, you know, essentially like video stuff, you know, not really lectures, but sort of like analysis videos. But then we'll also be opening up a special discord for like people to discuss these things. And that will be at a higher level. We haven't decided exactly what the price point will be. We're floating $15, but we'll decide that once it's actually launched. Um, in addition to that, we are going to be opening up a, a boutique service, if you will, a bespoke service. Um, that will be extremely limited, though. So that's going to be more on the long lines of we're essentially offering like to play test something that you're working on and do for your specific game the sorts of things that we do here on the podcast. And we'll work with you like directly. We'll give you personal feedback. We'll, you know, have a nice little Zoom meeting where you can like have to deal with all of our stupid quirks <laughs> and our and our fun thoughts, but really to sort of like dive deep into like the specific things that you might be working on. That's probably going to be pretty expensive. We haven't come up with a price point yet, but it's going to be at least in the three figures. So just be aware of that. Like, so, and it's also- When we say three figures, we're not meaning like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, three, like, hun yeah. Hundreds, of, hundreds of dollars, but it's not going to be like- oh. you know, Though if you are a, a hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, person that is a listener of our <laughs> yeah. podcast and you would yeah. love to employ a critical academic game design theorist, uh, Nicholas Tyson would be absolutely a beautiful consultant. I would uh, He's yeah. consulted. I'm yeah, he, he would- He's amazing. We were uh, we were <laughs> we were yeah, we together. So. <laughs> we, we were talking we were talking earlier about how we would be perfectly willing to sell mattresses, but we'd rather not sell mattresses. We'd rather sell ourselves. Wait, that sounds bad too. That sounds <laughs> terrible. Uh, we would rather sell the services that we would put out good into the community, and while getting sponsorships like from Sleep Number or from Purple, uh, yeah. <laughs> would be great. Um, that, that really that really like it's not something that for us really puts good out into the world and utilizes our skills. And before any of you are going, well, Lauren, you're already a professional game developer. Are you going to be a professional game developer on the side? That is not correct. Um, the things that we do on the podcast are very much what right people or humans would do as content creators on YouTube. You play test someone's game and you're like, yeah. wow, this is a let's play. These are what my thoughts and opinions are. All opinions are my own. And I, I want you, I just want everyone to know that and understand because it is very interesting when you think of critical theory and you think of academia and there is a fine, there are lots of lines, right? And lots of different areas of like expertise that you kind of bring to the table. And I think yeah. that this is something that's really cool and important is that it's not always important to have another game developer play your game. It really isn't. It's actually more important for you to have someone who isn't in game development playing your game who isn't someone who can see through your prototype because I can see what you're trying to do. And that actually will harm you with some of your feedback versus yeah. Nicholas's feedback is going to be better because he's like, I can't see what you're trying to do. Or, oh, I see what you're trying to do. It's this incredibly obscure thing that the developer <laughs> probably wasn't trying to do at all. And suddenly, right, that feedback yeah. actually tells you more. So I'm super excited both, not just for this, um, the highest level tier service that we'll offer, but I'm super excited for the classroom, right? Cause that's about teaching you 
kind of what's inside our brains and those thoughts so that maybe you could kind of do it on your own. Additionally, also interacting with your peers who are working through the same things as well, because one of the things that you can't quite do with like listening to the podcast, you can get a lot out of what we say on the podcast. But the thing is that interaction with other people who are also like listening in and working through the same ideas, you don't really get that when you're just sort of like listening to it on your commute or, you know, when you're walking somewhere. So that's the dimension that we want to add. We want to add that sort of like ability to get to direct feedback and also direct interaction with your peers. And so, but for those updates, it's very important that you follow us on Twitter um, at FudiDashiPod. That's where we announce all of these things consistently. Um, we also have a website, which is just FudiDashiPod.com. Um, that stuff is also on all of our, you know, social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is there as well. And we really want to use the next year to sort of not just expand the sort of the furidashi thing but also to sort of like bring you guys in we felt i feel like lauren might disagree but i feel like we spent the last year sort of broadcasting out to all of you and i think now is the time that we sort of established who we are to sort of like bring you all in as well and we want to create more opportunities to that end Yep, that is exactly what we want to do. I couldn't have said it better myself. So with that note, thank you all for listening for this week's episode. It has been an incredible and fantastic year. And I'm so excited to say that now you guys have all been listening for a year. And if you've just joined us, this is a great episode to join us on because now you not only know what you should listen to, but also <laughs> what you can listen to in the future. 